Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. Tonight we have tales of survival and endurance. The medevac of an Irish rower from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and advice on how to endure the Round Ireland Yacht Race. Former Galway rugby player Fergus Gussie Farrell was recently cleared to fly home from New York after he was medically evacuated from a small ocean rowing boat, Cushla McCree, just over 600 nautical miles from North America. Fergus had defied all odds to learn to walk again after a traumatic spinal injury in 2018. He set out from the US in June with extreme adventurer and fellow Galway rugby player Damien Brown to set a new world record for a two-man unsupported transatlantic row. They had been set in good time when Fergus took seriously ill on June 26th and in his first interview since arriving back in Ireland he spoke to Lorna Siggins beside the weir in his hometown of Athenry. We got going and um, the first 12 or 15 hours were blissful because we were travelling at really good knots because obviously we had the tide and we had the weather and we had a bit of breeze behind us but after that then things started to change drastically. <laughs> so they did. We started getting a headwind onto us and like um, obviously we, the further we're going out you know the rougher the seas were getting and we were still having the effects of the tide as well and a lot of the currents were bringing us in towards back towards um, the land mass and obviously we were still over the continental shelf so we had to actually go into power, power anchor um, was it two days into the trek which we were quite surprised by um, because we were the, uh, the currents the winds everything was against us so it was literally no point and that was the first time I got the first hand experience of being two guys two big guys in a fiberglass cabin no ventilation it was not pretty it was not not nice at all but we preferred to be out rowing than being in that cabin but I think the first shift we did was like eight or nine hours in it I really discovered that, you know, I can deal with tight space for a period of time, but not for too long. We end up having a system whereby we're rowing during the extreme heat of the day, from kind of 10 o'clock in the morning to maybe 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. Uh, we rowed one hour off, one hour on. Either shoulder of that, then we kind of did an hour and a half on, hour and a half off, and then late at night, kind of half 10 onwards, until about uh, half 10 to about half 6, we did two hours on, two hours off because you know, it was cooler and you, you, you know, and also the cabin was, was cooler as well, so you'd actually try and get some sleep then, if you could. The temperatures were down, it was, it was just, just nice rowing at night. Yeah. And were you in big swells then? Yeah, we were. Um, for a good few days we were in big swells, um, so especially when we got out over the continental shelf. Uh, there was two or three days there where we um, were fighting a massive fight, you know. Now we did have to go back onto power anchor again for a little while, in, um, but we also made a decision that, you know, if we could get uh, eco four, five, six hundred metres per hour, that we were going to do that because it was actually, for the mind and for everything else, it was actually nicer to be out in, that, uh, out in the oars rowing rather than being stuck together in a cabin. A lot of times, even though it was hard, it was actually a joy to be out in the oars uh, rowing because you're the fresh breeze, you're making progress. Even though it's small, tiny progress, we're really, really happy to be out in the oars. Hmm. And I even said this to Demo when I was out in the ocean. I said, as a credit to just Akin, the master boat builder from um, Beer in the UK, it never even entered my head about the safety of the boat. It did everything it was meant to do, and it did it without any fuss. So I just, I, I found huge safety in that. Once we were clipped into that boat, we were safe. 
we had a system and we stuck to it. So I was very confident in our system that we we're always going to be um, attached to that boat. They had a, a life raft on board. Uh, we had our, our life jackets, our harnesses. Yeah, it had absolutely everything that you required, you know, that a small 6.2 metre boat could take. And the boat itself, it just, it just glided over the water. It was unbelievable. And then things started to change for you. Yeah, so on today 12, I think it was, I started getting fatigued. Now, we had put up some big shifts just prior to this, but I started getting fatigued. And we actually got into the Gulf Stream, which was a big, big goal of us. And we got in there really, you know, in a good pace, good timing. And um, especially with the weather conditions we had, we got in there and then the boat was moving at four, five, six knots per hour in the right direction in the Gulf Stream. And the water was like glass and we were just tapping the water and we are moving. And that's actually when I started failing. First of all, I just thought it was, you know, maybe I was dehydrated. So I drank a lot of water. I mean, a lot of water. And um, that didn't have any effect. And then after that, then we weren't eating much because just just weren't able to stomach food. It wasn't seasickness. Just wasn't able to stomach the food for whatever reason was. So I tried to eat a little bit more. And then I had some, you know, some of the treats and things like that. And... That didn't help then we had some extra electrolytes you know that didn't help and the last one then it was actually after one of the a night i'd done a night whereby it was the two hours on two hours off well damien was in resting i would row maybe five minutes and i was absolutely exhausted i'd have to get off the seat i'd have to try and line the deck somewhere i couldn't see the uh, compass anymore uh, my eye my vision was going and i was just in bits i just couldn't I, i'd row four or five minutes and i couldn't i'd lie down for half an hour it was a big effort then just trying to even get up back on the seat and get on the seat again, put myself in, and do another four or five minutes. And the same, this just happened to me throughout the whole night. And Damien wasn't aware of this because obviously when he come out, uh, he'd hop on and I'd back, go back into the, the cabin and then vice versa. But then in the morning, then I just said to Damien, and I, I was saying to him, what's going on here? I just couldn't figure, I just couldn't figure it out. That's when I ultimately took my um, oxygen levels because uh, we had a little machine that, you know, the in our medical kit and that was sure showed up 86 percent and i i've had clots before in my lungs so i i knew the severity of having low oxygen levels in your blood i woke up to him i said come here i want you to try this on and so he tested his blood oxygen levels i think he was at 98 or 99 percent i said okay the machine is working and then i put it back onto myself and it was at 86 again and then say an hour later i got it was back up to 88 anthem blow 96 is dangerous territory and the reason I, I did that is because I was like, I was really struggling to catch my breaths, really struggling. And then when I was actually rowing, I had to do like two breaths for one breath, really, you know. So uh, that wasn't right neither. And then ultimately, then that's when we kind of made the phone call. And I, I'll be honest, I, 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 got, I was a little bit afraid at that stage, you know, because of my past history. Yeah. Because you'd had a very serious spinal injuries. Yeah. You knew all about the risks. Yeah, exactly. Look, um, I spent long enough in hospital. I learned a few things in hospital <laughs> along the way, you know. So yeah, I knew the I knew the risk, especially because I said I had um, the clots before, and the, one of the big identifier of having clots is that your your oxygen blood levels really drastically reduce. The last time I felt so bad and so gasping for air was actually the time that I was discovered to have the clots. It was really kind of in my back of my mind, going, "Oh, excuse the expression, but oh shit." We, we rang Chris Martin, our on-land support, and straight away we gave him the readings, and he said, like, okay, I'm going to get on to our on-land doctor. They tapped me through to them, and I gave him the readings, and basically uh, he said, um, 
they were like, uh, what are you thinking? I'm saying, this is not a decision I can make. I want to stay out here, but am I good any good to anybody? And this is the, the shocking part was within 30 seconds, he just said, you're finished. And I just, like, I thought, you know, they might say, oh, give us an hour, we'll, 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 we'll see and whatever, or, or come back to me in an hour and we'll, we'll do your, your readings again. But it was like 30 seconds. Yeah, 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 Jesus. Uh, I, I'm kind of, I don't know why I'm laughing there, kind of, but... It was my seventh day, and well, like, straight away I started sobbing. Because I kind of probably had an inkling that I was finished. Yeah, it was like it was over two years of hard graft, and but it was also, you know, the thing about crossing the Atlantic, being one of the few people to do it. Um, you know, the world, this world record was there in our grasps because we had done so well up to that point. So there's a lot of, you know, what-ifs. It's over two weeks now, but actually Saturday was my first day where I actually felt okay again. So things kicked in very quickly then with the U.S. Coast Guard and the ship. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, Chris Martin on Land Sport, he kind of said this could take up to 10 or 12 hours by the time the Coast Guard has organised the helicopters because we're just on the verge of their limitations. But what they had done was, what he was telling us, the plan was that they would fly to a ship somewhere that they, they would refuel and then fly out to me, pick me up, fly back to that ship. But they had to put a lot of things in, in line to be able to do that. The ship had to get closer to where we were and stuff like that. And he said that's more than likely the best, best outcome right now. So he's going to be minimum 10 or 12 hours. But we weren't actually allowed to go anywhere neither, so it would be just 10 or 12 hours of hanging out in a boat, you know. And, like, we kind of accepted that. So, I'd say half an hour hadn't passed. The next minute we got this VH radio message. Phoenix Sichuan, come in, Krushla, and he couldn't pronounce the name. Uh, so, I picked it up and go, Roger, you know, and uh, this Krushman Akri here. And he goes, you know, well, there's a distress call out. And uh, we're going, yes. And he was asking, what size boat you are? And like, he couldn't get this around his own head. We're 6.2 meters, two people. And they were only 4.5 kilometers away from us. The whole size of the Atlantic, North Atlantic Ocean with this massive tanker, 4.5 kilometers away from us. The tanker was a Hefeni Sichuan, 228 meters, 32 meters wide, uh, an oil tanker and um, absolute gentlemen. I never forget, I'll be honest with you, it's an absolutely amazing experience I had from how diligent they were. Now, thankfully, we had calm enough water. So they came towards us and within, say, maybe three or 400 metres, they kind of stopped and we rode up beside them. Now, the water, the sea was still going up and down, so it was still very dangerous for a 6.2 metre boat up beside a 228 metre tanker. I had absolutely no energy and I was still breathing hard and things like that but the Lord down the steps to me anyways and they came down the steps and literally pulled me up and dragged me into the boat and at that stage um, like at that was demo rode up to the boat for me and got in really close and like everything was just so so smooth and as it could be on, a, on, on the ocean we had unfortunately lost our two toilets in the first 12 or 14 days so we had to improvise with another toilet and I, I let people imagine what that was. But then we end up getting two new toilets, i.e. buckets, um, off them as well. But he also got loads of fruit, they gave him water, they gave him a fresh meal. It was like unbelievable how good they were. And then they dragged me into the, the uh, kind of the medical room and they put a bit of oxygen on me and um, then started reading my signs and just let me rest and they gave me like loads of isotonic drinks, water, fresh fruit. And they were just all so, so nice. Every one of them in that boat were amazing. And, and Sanjay, the captain, and then I think the second captain was called Cliff, an Indian crew. 
I was blown away by their hospitality. Just everything they did for me. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, we'd bosses and villages rolling into Galway together and things like that. But he, he, he'll do it. He's a very strong man and very mentally strong. And, you know, he's conditioned properly for it. And he, he'll, he'll, he'll get it done. Unfortunately, I won't be there with him, but I'll be for sure there when he comes in and I, I'm going to try and do as much as I can while I'm here to put a really good homecoming together for them and obviously to drive on our charities as well to try and help raise more funds for them so yeah I'm not out in the ocean wrong with them but I'm very much very much want to be still involved and driving on until till, till it's finished and that was Lorna Siggins speaking to Fergus Gussie Farr and his companion Damien Brown is continuing with that row you can follow his progress on his podcast Deep Roots or on their website, projectempower.ie. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Wicklow for the start of the Round Ireland Yacht Race. There we heard competitors wondering what it would be like over the next week or so as they were facing out into the ocean. One man who sailed this race a couple of times is author, sailor and barrister John O'Donnell. He has the answer to their questions in this radio essay. If you're lucky... When you start the Rand Ireland, you'll have a favourable breeze and a fair tide. The organisers will do what they can for you to synchronise the start time with an ebb tide. But the last thing you want is to begin a 700-mile race by chugging into a wind that's resolutely on the nose. In the build-up before the gun goes, you'll be counting down the minutes and then the seconds trying to keep your nerves under control and concentrate on your job as the other boats prance up and down like chargers along the start line. It's a relief to get away cleanly and without incident. In fact, it's just a relief to get away at last. Because you can do all the inshore races and training courses and overnight passages you like, but there is a rhythm to the round Ireland that you can only experience by doing it. And every race is different. Already by Wicklow Head, the big ones, the Maxis, are quickly pulling away. Soon the fleet is spread out across the Irish Sea, heading south. You might even get a kite up, provided the wind angle is right. One by one you'll see and hear the spinnakers crackling open like genies of unstoppered colour. Evening comes, and then night. On the first night of an offshore, everyone on your boat wants to show how committed they are, so that even if you have a watch system, there will be some who will already be insisting that they don't need any sleep. And of course, no one wants to win the Golden Blanket Award, an unofficial prize handed out on some boats to the crew member who spends the most time in his or her bunk. But unless you're on some sort of racing machine or performance-enhancing drugs, you are going to need some sleep, or at least rest, over the next four to five days. A mistake some people make is not driving the boat as competitively at night as during the day. Think about it. If you were in a road race, why would you take your foot off the pedal just because the sun has gone down? Anyway, because it's midsummer. You'll have light for all but about four hours in 24. 
But when it does get dark, it's really dark. And bad weather always seems much worse at night. The waves look bigger, the wind sounds louder. So it pays to have people who are rested, or as well rested as you can be, up on deck when it's dark, keeping the boat racing rather than just cruising. But even getting kip in early can be a challenge. A boat sounds different down below to what it sounds like when you're up on deck. From the relative comfort of your weather bunk, the air seems full of noises. Grinding winches, halyard clatter, waves thumping the hull, and all the disembodied chatter about waypoints and sail settings and other competitors who've now shrunken to distant pinpoints of light. If there is something thrilling, and at times scary, about racing a boat hard through the darkness, there is also something special about being on deck at first light, the sky brightening ever so slowly. Don't over-romanticise it. This is a yacht race, not a hallmark greeting card. And anyway, this being the round Ireland, there will frequently be mist, or, to give it its proper title, rain. Somehow, the water, in whatever form, finds its way inside even the most expensive boots and oilskins, reaching parts of you that you never knew you had. At times, the days merge into one another, the endless hours sitting on the weather side, the wire certainty of the upper guardrail, one of the few things you can depend on. The course is simple. Come out of Wicklow, turn right, and keep going until you come round to Wicklow once again. But after you pass Tusker, you might not see another boat up close for hundreds of miles. You don't necessarily always hug the shoreline all the time. You might head out in search of wind. So at times, the land is no more than a distant smudge. You really are at sea in every way. And how do you pass the time, those hours with your cheeks to the teak? There are sails to be trimmed, navigational decisions, weather forecasts, tidal charts. But what do you talk about? No one wants to hear your life story. You are left instead to your own thoughts, wind and spray, as slowly you tick round the clock, southwest and then west. You may discover things about the island you are sailing round. You may even discover things about yourself. Old head, galley head, mizzen head, the bull. The lighthouses are like a string of lit up beads a rosary recited to keep you safe as you turn the corner and head into on Araga Moor, the big sea, the Atlantic, where the waves come rolling long and wide and deep all the way from America. In some years, cruelly, the wind will veer from the generally prevailing southwest around to the northwest so that you could be beating into it for almost half the race and beating is the appropriate word for what the weather does to you on the west coast. Solitary, but not lonely, you pass the skelligs, inish tarot like a one-toothed crone. Then there is open water, 
until Slyne Head and Black Rock, and by Eagle Island you are now at last turning northeast as you pass Sligo and make for Donegal. The distant sheep on Tory Island look like snags of wool. You pass Inishtrahal and then Rathlin Island, where the tide is so strong that if you arrive at the wrong time, you could find yourself parked up for hours. You may even have to anchor to stop yourself going backwards. As you pass the maidens, you may even hear distant thunder coming from the shore, where the Orange Order are already practising for the glorious twelfth on their enormous lambeg drums. You may even be briefly boarded by the security services who will have a quick look around your boat just in case. Mew Island, South Rock, Rockabill, and now the Kish in splendid isolation beyond Dublin Bay. You're travelling south now, feeling that you're almost home. But you aren't, not yet, not by a long shot because the only consistent thing about this last leg of the race is its inconsistency. As the journalist Winky Nixon says, if the West Coast doesn't break your boat, the East Coast will break your heart. There are horror stories of boats leading the race by miles, only to gradually come to a stop on a windless Irish sea, sitting upright like painted ships upon a painted ocean. Black masses are sometimes offered in exchange for wind. By the time you sight Wicklow off the starboard bow, the sea may be a mirror, the hull reflected on the breathless glass. Slowly you inch towards the line, whooping as you finish. And then? And then? Well, you'll tie up and tidy up, and then you'll go ashore, thirsty and slightly unsteady, the sea still in your legs, though not as unsteady as you will be later, when, as the song says, you will go into a public house and make the rafters roar. Some will never do the race again, an item ticked off on the bucket list. Others, many, many others, will say they'll never do it again. And yet, in two years' time, you will see so many of the same old faces, a bit more grizzled, a bit more world-weary, with new oilskins that still leak, and maybe even a new boat. Once more, they'll be cruising up and down the start line, looking for a gap. And you will be with them, the salt still in your blood, looking for a chink of light through which you'll enter once again into another world, that's waiting out there for you. Because as Karen Blixen said, the cure for everything is salt water, sweat, tears, the sea. And that was author, sailor and barrister John O'Donnell. And as one-time winner of the Golden Blanket Award myself, I can attest to every word in that radio essay. Now that's it for Seascapes for this evening. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. There have been a few sea tragedies over the last week, so if you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. And I thought I'd leave you tonight with that song referred to by John in his piece. 
This is the Clancy Brothers singing The Holy Ground. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fogel Keen.